Well, thanks, Paul and, and the music team. I haven't sung that song in a long time. And that is a, a beautiful uh, just reminder that everything we're doing is all for him. Every, every person in this room right now, um, whether on the platform or here amongst the congregation, we are all performing for him, the Lord. And, uh, and we pray that he would take pleasure in what, what we give him and that we would drink deeply of him uh, during this time that we have together. Okay, how many people here were praying for rain? Go ahead, raise your hand. Yeah, I know, I know. And I'll be honest, we, we miss, so our folks who gather outside, if you're with us online right now, we, we miss having you here. Well, we're grateful you're with us online. Uh, so we, we certainly do miss that. But I, I have to say, I really do enjoy what's going on outside right now. It's beautiful. It's refreshing. It's... Um, we need it, right? We've needed the rain, so we're praising God for that, and we're grateful also that we can, we can gather inside. Uh, you'll recall not long ago, we, were, we weren't even able to do this, to be together indoors, and so we praise the Lord for that. Um, we're, we're continuing on in 1 John today, and, uh, and as we do so, there's an account given of uh, two guys who worked every day together uh, in a furniture delivery uh, store, and... Uh, one guy's name was Gary, the other guy's name was Randy. And, and Gary would lift one end of the couch, Randy would lift the other end of the couch, and people said, they look kind of alike, you know, but they figured out ah, it's just coincidence, you know, we're, we're furniture delivery guys, we look the same. Uh, Randy had been actually researching his family history, and, and he knew he was an adopted son, and there was a new law in Maine that allowed him to finally see his birth certificate, and so he learned several things. He learned that both of his parents had died, but they had another son who was born on June 10th, 1974. And then on a furniture delivery run, it happened again. A customer looked and said, Randy, you look a lot like Gary. And then Randy started nonchalantly asking Gary about some personal questions, like when his birthday was. And as soon as he heard his birth date, June 10th, 1974, he knew. Gary was his brother. Here they had, they'd grown up in neighboring towns, they'd attended rival schools, only one year apart in age, and they had never known about one another. And it was a shock. It was a wonderful shock, but they were just going, here, we've been working together, we've been lugging furniture, and you're my brother. It was phenomenal, said Gary. I still can't wrap my head around it. And a coworker, Greg Berry, said this, there's nothing like family, especially when you don't have one. And now they've got it. But that's not all. Uh, the, the story appeared in the local paper, and soon a teary-eyed woman showed up at the brother's work with a birth certificate in her hand, exclaiming she was their half-sister. <laughs> She's born five or six years before either of them, and uh, she said in the interview with, her, with the reporter, after all these years, here I am, 41, and I finally found my brothers. It's a beautiful depiction of a family reunion. And it intrigues me that before it all happened, as these guys worked together, those around them could kind of tell. They could kind of tell. It was, there, was, there was a way in which eh, you guys are kind of the same. There is a family resemblance. And you know, most of us experience that in one way or another. Uh, I'm told my dad and I share several similarities. Uh, we laugh the same way. We use similar mannerisms with people. And to the chagrin of my kids at times, we have the same sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm talking dad jokes, people. That's what I'm talking. Uh, but th that, 
those resemblances, they run through uh, families. And we also find in the family of God, there are traits that run through God's family. Traits shared by each and every brother and sister in Christ. And one of those key traits is assurance. Assurance. Uh, no matter how old someone is in the faith, no matter how, how young they are in their spiritual journey, if you've come to Christ by faith, you have the opportunity to enjoy assurance. Now, what is assurance exactly? Sinclair Ferguson defines it as this. The experience of having the heart enlarged by a sense of the greatness and strength of the saving grace of God and the mind expanded to the riches of his salvation. That's assurance. Bam! Seeing more of what God has done. Having it crystal clear. You ever been to an IMAX movie before? Okay, folks, it's better than a regular movie, all right? You're standing there, the thing is like three stories tall. It's like digital, clear, crisp, bam, it's an experience. Assurance is seeing God's salvation, his work in a big, clear, beautiful, true way. And, and, and there are other elements that come out of the scriptures when we, when we see assurance. There's, it's this inner sense that I'm really born again that I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit, that, that by God's enabling grace, I will persevere as a believer until the end of my life. Uh, it includes a sense of safety and security in Christ. And, and these sensations of assurance, they're not like a, a static thing. They don't just kind of go, mm, I got assurance. No, it, it, there's ups and downs. Uh, it, they vary in degree because all believers, all of us, we wrestle with doubts. We wrestle with uncertainties. We, we wrestle with indwelling sin. So, so what the Bible tells us in light of that is, is we need to learn to cultivate assurance in our hearts. And this cultivation comes about from prayer and meditation on the promises of God and, and, and by the growing fellowship of one anothering amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Assurance is exactly what John has in mind when he pens 1 John chapter 2. Verses 12 to 14. Go ahead and, and open to that passage, if you would. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 and 14. He's been warning uh, the recipients of this letter about the false teachers and about how they're peddling a false knowledge, claiming that it's true secret knowledge. And as he does so, he's unfolding different tests to know whether someone's genuinely a believer or, or someone who has a false faith. And he comes to this point in time now and he shifts gears and it's, it's a very sudden shift. And uh, it's actually a very beautiful passage. So in honor of God's word, would you please stand up and follow along as I read. Here's what John says, beginning with verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would unfold this section of your word to cause us to become the people you want us to be. We pray, Lord, that, that you protect us from distraction, 
protect us from indifference as your word is unfolded for us. May we understand that as we hear from your word, we're hearing from you as your spirit works. You are teaching us. You are changing us. And Lord, we pray that each one here or online gathered with us today, wherever they're at, Lord, we ask that you would meet them and that you would bring them to a place of grasping who you are, their need for you, and the immense provision there is in Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, for an eternity of joy in your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats. When you look at this passage, one of the things that strikes is, well, wow, what a, you're shifting gears, John. What's going on? All of a sudden, bam, we're not in the similar section that we had before. It, it comes out in just the way the passage is laid out. It's really very poetic. Uh, in your translation, depending on which one you have there, you might actually have the lines laid out in a different way because it very much has a, this sort of rhyme scheme almost from a, from a, a conceptual uh, standpoint. There's, there's three uh, sets, there's two sets of three here essentially. I, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing. I have written, I have written, I have written. And then there's um, a different a designation given for different, uh, we would call them age groups, children and fathers and young men. And there's a ton of discussion about um, what that means and, and, and who that would be. Uh, but the symmetry of, of the way the passage unfolds is so beautiful. And, uh, you know, some would c- conclude that those different um, designations, children, fathers, young men, would be different, you know, ages, different spans of life. Others would say, no, they're not physical ages, they're spiritual ages. Uh, some would say there's three groups of people represented there. Others would say two. Others have said one. Um, I would say that it, it probably isn't just physical age groups because when... Uh, when the phrase children is being used, uh, it doesn't always refer to really, really young children. As a matter of fact, you know, back up in chapter 2, verse 1, he says to everybody there who's hearing the letter, my little children, right? So it's not just physical age, for, certainly. Um, it's really a term of endearment. And uh, secondly, we would also see that the three terms don't appear in, in sort of a chronological order, right? He doesn't say uh, children, then youth, then fathers. He actually says children, then fathers, and then youths, right? So because of that, it seems best to see the three terms as children would be all believers, just like he uses it earlier in chapter 2. And then there's two kind of qualifying designations under that, fathers being older, more mature believers, and young men uh, being younger believers. And so the idea here is he's bringing them the realities of assurance for them in those different phases of their Christian walk. And so we're seeing today provisions of assurance for every season of the Christian life. Every season, there's assurance available. And he'll describe these for us today. And and the first we would find is the assurance of sins forgiven. We see that in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you little children, again, everybody as a whole, no matter where you're at, for a reason. Uh, He's stating the reason of their writing because, you know, they've, they've experienced salvation. They've experienced the forgiveness of sins. He says, because your sins have been forgiven. Uh, the verb there is a beautiful verb. In English, it's hard to convey sometimes, but it has the idea of something that happened in the past that carries on through to the present. It's, it's the perfect tense. So you could think of it as uh, your sins were forgiven, remain forgiven, and will continue to be forgiven. Um, that, that, that's, that's how he's speaking to them in this. Uh, and, and notice, for his namesake, 
Isn't that something? You're forgiven. You stand forgiven. You remain in that place of forgiveness, not because of you, not because of your ability, not because of your uh, moral standards that you're able to keep so well. No, for his namesake, because of him. John's readers have become children of God. Their sins have been forgiven on account of who Christ is. When you talk about name in the Bible, you're talking about a person's identity. You're talking about their character. You're talking about them as a person. And so here, it's because of who Jesus is and for his name's sake, for his glory, um, we find there is forgiveness that stands. And, and here we, we would want to look at, at really parking on that idea of being forgiven because of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's, that's what's, what's being described here. And, um, and we can break down, you know, but the Bible does describe forgiveness in different ways. Right here, um, many theologians would point out that this is f- what they would call forensic forgiveness. So the idea is uh, forgiveness from the courtroom, the declaration, you are forgiven, the judge has ruled. Verdict rendered, forgiven. Uh, that's what's being described here. You'll recall earlier in chapter 1, when uh, John wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Um, there's a difference there uh, that's a different kind of theological category of forgiveness. Uh, and that's what we would call uh, filial forgiveness. Uh, the idea of filial is, has, comes from the word for family. So coming from a son or a daughter, uh, the element there would be there's forgiveness that is enjoyed as we confess our sins to God. There's a, a, a renewal of fellowship with God in an experiential, relational way. Um, but here's the thing. There's, there, we got a hold of the difference of those two things because if we sin as Christians, we don't lose our sonship or daughtership. We stand forgiven. That's what he's describing here. However, we do not enjoy fellowship. There's an element of fellowship with God that we have that... Uh, is not enjoyed in the same way on a familial level, and that's when we need to go to God for forgiveness. So there's two, two kind of categories here. Here John is describing that first one, that judicial, forensic, legal forgiveness. Um, Jesus brings this out really beautifully in, in John 13. Do you remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet? And Simon Peter says to him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus is like, okay, so look, Peter, if I'm not going to wash your feet, you're not going to have any part in me, Right? And then, Peter, of course, being the extreme guy that he is, says, okay, well then wash not only my feet, but wash my hands, wash my head, you know, wash all of me. Just, just totally cleanse me. And, and Jesus' response is fascinating. He says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. You see what Jesus is describing? He's describing that that filial forgiveness of feet washing. We get our feet dirty as we walk. But remember this. Forensic forgiveness, judicial forgiveness, you are in that no matter what. Nothing changes that. Brother or sister in Jesus, right now, this moment, do you know you stand forgiven? I don't know what your week was like. I don't know the ways that you struggled. 
I don't know how that battle with sin is going in various areas at various times, but you need to know this with full assurance. Because of what Jesus has done for his name's sake, in Jesus, you are fully forgiven. You are completely clean. Rejoice. Rest in that assurance. Now, in the other sense, that that familial forgiveness, confess your sin, as John said earlier. He's faithful and just and will forgive and cleanse you. Your feet need to be washed. Go to him immediately. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to know, washed by Jesus, we are completely clean. And when we don't grasp the depth and breadth and fullness of God's forgiveness for our sins, because of what Christ has done for his name's sake, for his glory, we end up living lives that are stunted. We walk around haunted at times by guilt. We withdraw from others. We kind of go into isolation mode. We, we enter into spiritual depression or listlessness. But when we really do see this clearly, our hearts are lifted up in joy because we're looking at him. Do you realize your salvation, the fact that God has rescued you from sin and wrath and is committed, more committed than you are actually, to bringing you safely home to him, do you realize that is for his glory? Um, Back to the song we sang. It's not all about us. It's all about him. God's not going to rob himself of glory or rob um, glory from Christ. I mean, he, Jesus even tells us that all that come to him are actually a gift from the Father. You realize you are a gift to Jesus from the Father? God's not going to take that back. And when we see these things, assurance grows in our hearts. We become more and more held in his certain grace. We become more filled with joy. We become um, people who, who, who love being a part of God's family and who want to invite others. You know, today, maybe you're not yet a part of God's family. Maybe, maybe you've not yet come to that place of turning to Jesus. You are invited to join his family today. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Admit your sin to God. Trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Turn to him by faith. And know what it means to have your life fully cleansed of sin. And to be reconciled to the one who made you to know him. So those in the family of God not only have assurance of sins forgiven, but secondly, they also have the assurance of fellowship with God. He begins referring to this in verse 13. He says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him. Again, same idea with the verb there. You've, you knew him in the past at one point in time. That knowing him is moving on through to the present and on into the future. You know him. I'm writing to you, fathers. Again, these would be those who are older and more mature believers. 
And, and, and he's saying after many years of walking with Jesus, there's an ongoing deepening of that relationship with him. Notice it's not, and you know about him. Remember the Gnostics, what were they teaching? Hey, I've got secret knowledge for you. You can know all about God. And he's saying, fathers, those of you who've been walking with the Lord for year after year after year, you don't just know about him. You know him. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of centuries past in England, he, he wrote on an occasion when he was a young preacher, he was talking about forgiveness in his sermon. And his grandfather happened to be present there that day. And so Spurgeon asked his grandfather to close the service in prayer. And so the elder Spurgeon, he walked up and he put his hand on young Charles's shoulder and said, Charles can tell you about it, but I have lived it. And many who are older in the faith have told me over the years, I, I, the more I serve him, the sweeter it grows. And, and maybe John's actually, you know, thinking about his own life right now, right? He's, he's, he's actually been walking with Jesus at this point in time when he writes this letter for over 50 years. So he's one, he's one of those people. And then we think about perhaps those who have who have walked with the Lord all these years and, and sort of you know, the assur- assurance that they're given in knowing God personally. How does that affect your life on a regular basis? Um, you know, for some, it's dealing with life's disappointments toward the end of life. Sometimes you had dreams and thoughts and goals you thought were going to happen and they don't happen. And it hurts. Sometimes there's children that you love that are not walking in, in the ways of God, perhaps. Um, some are, are looking at entering into eternity, are, are looking at that last transition, you know, what, what Pilgrim's Progress would call crossing the river into the celestial city. And, and, and there's a mixture of emotions there. There's, there's a joy in that. But you know what? Let's be honest. It's scary. Uh, you've never done this before, okay? I remember, actually, several times I've had the privilege of being next to a brother or sister on the precipice of entering into the arms of Jesus. And these are godly men and women. And uh, candidly, I remember one gentleman looking at me and going, I'm afraid. That's okay. You know why? Because he's got you. You are clean. You're clean because of what he's accomplished. You are forgiven for his namesake. And all these years you've been walking with him, you know him. And he knows you. Assurance is a gift from the Lord to his children, no matter where they're at in their pilgrimage. And let's be sure to hold tight to him in recognition of his perfect grip upon us. 
This fellowship with God described for, for, for those who are mature and, and have years of walking with the Lord. It's personal. It's ongoing. It's described here as a sweet delight. But notice what John does next. In verse 13, he talks about, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him personally, who's been from the beginning, the, the God, the Lord, the creator. You know him. But notice now he goes to, I'm writing to you, in verse 14, I'm sorry, beginning of verse 14. No, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. The end of verse 13. <laughs> See, I'm getting confused on the poetry here. The end of verse 13, notice. I've written to you children, what does he say? Because you know the Father. Same, same phrase, same concept, same line. Why? No matter how old you are, you could be mature and have not walked with the Lord for years. You may have just come to Jesus this past week. Guess what? You personally know the Father. He gives you that right away. Unlike the Gnostic false teachers who were saying, yeah, you do things our way, you go through all the rigors of learning our secret knowledge, then you can know about God. And he's saying, "Uh uh-uh. Fathers, you know him experientially. Young ones, you come to know him immediately. The day you turn to him. Personally. Not just about him. So this fellowship with God, this knowledge, this, this knowing him is personal, ongoing. It's a sweet delight, and it's available to all no matter how long they've been on the path of maturity. Uh, right here at the end of verse 13, the phrase I just pointed you to, that, that's where the verb tense changes from uh, I am writing to I have written. There's been a lot of discussion on that. I will not take too much time with that right now. I just want you to know it's a beautiful thing because uh, though some would say, well, because it's the, a past tense idea, uh, what happened was uh, John uh, was writing um, and he'd already written the, the gospel of John. So the, these past tense I have written is referring to the gospel of John and the I am writing is referring to this epistle. Uh, someone else actually said, no, John was writing and as he was writing, he actually got interrupted he had to go do something. And so when he came back, he started next with, I have written. And I'm, that's creative? No, that is not it. Um, actually, there's a beautiful way that uh, Koine Greek has of using this idea of past tense to take the vantage point of the reader and the writer and have them uh, brought into one another. It's the idea. So, so the technical term for it would be an epistolary aorist. If you're a Greek person, you're like, oh, I love those. Okay, great. But if you're not, it doesn't matter. The point is, what it does is when this is written, uh, it's being written from the vantage point of the recipient. So what he's saying is, I'm writing, and now he says, I have written. It's a way of him, for him to send the letter and almost come right up next to the person he's written to and saying, okay, I'm next to you now. Let's look at this together. That's the idea. So there's a, that shift. And, uh, and what does he say? I'm, I, I, I've written children because you know the Father as well. And... Uh, that's, that, that's oneness, that fellowship with God. I also love here how right next to uh, each other, um, as the poetry is coming out, that phrase that's used of the young is used in the same way of the old. And I think applicationally for us folks, uh, there's an important thing here. Are you someone who has been walking with God all this time? What is your impact on the younger? 
how are you taking what God's given you and giving that to the next generation? Is that a focus of your life? Is that a desire that you have? Is that a part of your heartbeat? Because that's what you're called to. I get concerned sometimes. Um, doesn't happen a whole lot, but there are times when I, I, I am talking with people, not necessarily even from our church, it's just around, and there's this sort of idea of, well, I get to this certain age and there's like the golden years of retirement, you know? And I've got my, my uh, you know, my 401k is at this amount and I've got this all straightened out and now I'm like driving the car of life and there's the cruise control button, baby. Boof. And that's it. And we do that as believers. We fall into that trap. That is not a scriptural perspective on living life as a believer. Um, you know, if you want to have that kind of a life, you can say you're living some kind of life. Please don't call it the Christian life. That's not what it, that is. Now, here we see younger and older are together. And there's influence and growth that's happening. And so if you're in that category of, uh, of, 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 the, of the person who's mature and walking with God, you need to ask that question. Um, we have people in this church, I am so inspired by them. You know what? We, we, have, we have someone who's in their late 80s who serves in Awana. And that inspires me. I'm in awe. Um, yeah, there's a couple that does that. Uh, the, the gentleman of that couple, I'm, uh, if, you're not, if you're a guy and you're not in the morning watch, you're missing out. Let me just put it that way. So that's, you know, every Tuesday morning, 6 a.m., um, this, this gentleman, this 89-year-old guy who serves in Awana, he's also a part of that group. And I want to tell you something right now. When I grow up, I want to be like him. I really do. And uh, it, it comes down to even as, as the, those meetings end, there is a grace and a wisdom and a heart of tenderness toward God and others that is refreshing and instructive at the same time. This is one who is a, a father an older one who knows God and is sharing that. Um, if you're a younger one, what are you doing to get next to these older ones? Um, I've been really refreshed. We've had people come to our church and uh, thankfully we've got you know, a really wide gamut of people from different age groups and everything else. And uh, I've been really refreshed. There was a, a couple who came recently and we were talking about different um, you know, fellowship opportunities. And one thing they said is, we do not want an age-designated class for young people. We don't want that. We want to be people who are older than us. And the idea was almost like, why would we just want to get together with people just like us? We, just, what, we pool our ignorance? I mean, what, you know, what are we doing? No, we want to be with people who are older, who have been walking with God, who we can learn from. And that's a refreshing thing as well. All within the family of God. So the question would be, are, are, are we really engaging with one another in the way God's designed his family to work? And what are you doing? What steps are you taking to do that? Are you serving in some way? Are you looking around as to how you can have an impact on the people around you? Because no matter where you're at, there's a role, there's a place, there's a ministry, there are gifts that God's given you, and you can, you can have a major impact. As we do so, we are sharing in fellowship. 
And there's an assurance that God gives us in that. So, again, those in the family of God not only have the assurance of sins forgiven, they not only have the assurance of fellowship with God, but finally, uh, we conclude with this, they have the assurance of infused strength for victory in spiritual battle. And uh, we find that in reference to, to young men. And by the way, note this. You know, a lot of times as modern readers, we'd be tempted to conclude that, that John is, is somehow, you know, being sexist. He doesn't refer to mothers and young women. But, but John's use of the masculine here in this section of Scripture, it was very customary in the first century. That was a normal way to be referring to everybody. And so certainly that's what he's doing here. He's not excluding women in any way. Uh, but, but he's referring now to, you know, the, the phrase he uses is young men, that they've overcome the evil one, he says. And, uh, and that's at uh, the end of verse 14. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. And you'll notice again, he, he started in verse 13 with that same uh, designation to young men, you've overcome the evil one. He just kind of said that. And now it's at the end of the phrase, he's unpacking it more. So you kind of have this idea of, okay, they've overcome the evil one. What, what are they talking about? Well, believers in Christ are given provisions by Christ to overcome the devil through victory in Jesus. Um, John doesn't want these younger believers to think that, that, that just because they're not mature like the other ones, perhaps, that they have, you know, uh, less importance or less value. He's saying to them, no, God is giving you the ability by his grace and the empowerment to fight battles and win victories um, that come about in, in the spiritual warfare that we're all in every day. You know, Ephesians 6 talks about that, right? We don't battle against flesh and blood. But instead, we're battling against the principalities, rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. The idea is um, every day we're facing battles. Uh, we face battles against our own indwelling sin. We face battles against the, the, the way in which the world system around us is opposed to God and is attempting to, to take people out of that place of trusting Christ and, and knowing him. Um, and, and let's face it, for young people in particular, that's typically a period of, of you know, lots of uh, idealism, lots of energy, lots of passion, lots of conflict, lots of, dare I say, arrogance, uh, and in experience. The teenage years, especially, can be like, like a roller coaster, and, and we, we've all either experienced that uh, personally, um, some of us have experienced that as, as parents, some of us are experiencing it right now as teenagers, and, and, uh, and young people, it's beautiful now, you know, as you consider this passage, how this is another place where the Bible is saying you are a massively significant part of God's plan and God's work right now today. God's not waiting for you to become an adult. He's not waiting for you somehow to kind of cross that threshold, you know, like, like 18 is the magic number. I mean, some people are way more mature uh, at 13 than I was at 18. I'll just tell you that right now. You know, and then others are, you know, frankly, they don't become mature until like they're 32. I mean, it just depends. It just depends. That's not, the, you know, the magic number is not the magic number in terms of, la, la, I'm an adult. Um, thankfully, the Bible is very clear that young people are critically important to what God's doing, not just here as a church, but also as he impacts the world. Uh, there was one writer I, I, I love... Um, how he put it. He was describing how, you know, inexperience is, is kind of cured by living life, you know, and pride is easy in that early phase of life. And I, I, 
I get that. I, when, when I was um, probably in my teens, I didn't think I knew everything. I knew I knew everything. You know, I knew that already. It's like, hello. And now I realize I hardly know anything. Very little. Very little. Um, but a, a good quote uh, one writer has is this. I remember my young adulthood when it began to dawn on me that the horizons of my knowledge were the frontiers of my ignorance. And uh, I, I think that's well put. But here, what, what's John saying? I mean, so, so easy in some circles to just sort of like, yeah, those young people, to bash them, you know. And we, we, you know, sometimes the older amongst us can be like, yeah, those, they, they don't know anything about this. And they're, you know, they think this and that and the other. And rah, 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 rah. that's not the attitude here either. No, it's praise God for youth. Praise God for the vigor. Praise God for the zeal. Uh, praise God also for the future ahead. And also realize the battle ahead. There is a battle for purity. There is a battle for integrity. There is a battle for focus on the life mission God's given each young man and young woman in him. There are treacherous things all over that pathway attempting to pull them away. And what does John say here? He says, you are strong. Whoa. Already? Yeah. I don't know. We think of strength. We think, no, I got to get to the gym more. I'm not strong. I got to go work on stuff. I got to do things. Well, that's, that's actually true in some ways. But notice, he's saying you already are strong. Why is that? Look at the next phrase in verse 14. The word of God abides in you. So there's a, there's a spiritual vigor that, that strength comes from a certain place. It comes from God's word. Young people, are you eager to become strong in this? There's wisdom to be found here. There's strength to be found here. There's, there's, there's ways in which when we follow what God has revealed in his word, we're told we're wiser than those who are our elders. So the strength comes, but it, it's not simply a working out thing or me going out and doing the right thing. No, it's, this strength is actually infused into my life because of the word of God. And that's why you see that word abides in you. Notice that. It's not simply that the person, this young person's, he or she is looking at the Word of God and going, yeah, that was good. I got to check, you know, or I learned that. Or I... No, it's actually more along the lines of literally taking the Bible and ingesting it. It's bringing the Bible inside. And, and, and again, young people, if you can learn now to, to, to cultivate an appetite for the truth of God as expressed in His Word... Oh, your future will be so different. There will be so many ways. You will walk with integrity, grace, joy, fullness. But I think so often right now, the emphasis, especially with young people, is a bunch of external stuff. You know, they want to they go to the hip, cool place, and they want to they look a certain way, and, and, and they want to 
um, be amongst a certain crowd. And, 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 and again, it doesn't necessarily mean that any of those things are evil in and of themselves. That's not the point. The point is, is the priority, the cultivation of your inner self, the inner you, in light of the infusion of the truth of God that doesn't just come into you, but as this passage says, that actually abides in you. It lives in you. Young people, that is God's call on your life. And notice what happens at the end of that, verse 14 at the end, and you have overcome the evil one. This overcoming isn't just sort of like you just wake up in the morning and roll out of bed, yeah, I'm an overcomer, great. No, it is strength taken from the word ingested inside and dwelling within you that brings about that victory. It's the mind going to places so that the battles you face, and there are many battles ahead, that the battles you face, you are empowered by the Lord for, for victory. There's a story about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He's a Russian writer, and he spent several years in a Siberian prison. At one point, he'd become so discouraged that he literally just wanted to die. So his plan was to, when he had to be sent out to work in the, in the, in the labor camp, he was just going to take his shovel, and he was just going to lean on the shovel and wait for the guards to come and beat, beat him to death. However, when he stopped, another prisoner reached over with his shovel and quickly drew a cross at his feet. And then he raced it before a guard could see it. Solzhenitsyn later said that his entire being was energized by that reminder of the hope and courage that we have in Christ. And he found in that moment strength to continue because a fellow believer cared enough to remind him of hope. And that's what we need to be together. Calling one another to be reminded, calling one another to be in the word, sharing, talking about God and the things of God together. But again, the mind going there is what gives strength for the battle. The renewal of our minds is how the Bible puts it. And John's encouragement and exhortation here to the young would be, put yourself regularly, eagerly in the source of strength for your life ahead. Take it in and let it abide in you. Because when you don't grasp the strength infused into you by the connection that you have with God because of Jesus through the Spirit's work in you, and when the Word of God is not abiding you in that way and bringing that to your attention, you're going to live as if you're weak. Those pressures around you, they're just going to knock you off the path. Your vigor will, will, will become spent and you're going to have less victory in battles against temptation, against indwelling sins. But when you do really grasp that strength that he's given you, when you become more strong in him as his word abides in you, when you thirst for God's word, when you drink it in, when you allow it to live inside of you, when you think on the word and talk about the word and memorize the word, then you're going to engage in those battles against temptation, indwelling sin with his strength, and you will see victory. And that instills deeper assurance. Queen Victoria, she once attended a service in, in St. Paul's Cathedral, and she listened to a sermon. And it helped her a lot. She was really encouraged by it. 
And afterwards, she asked her chaplain a question. She said, quote, Can one be absolutely sure in this life of eternal safety? Unquote. And his answer was that he knew no way one could be absolutely sure. And so that account was published in the court news, and it came to the notice of a minister whose name was John Townsend. And after reading of Queen Victoria's question and, and the answer she received, he prayed. And then he sent the following note to the queen. To her gracious majesty, our beloved Queen Victoria, from one of her most humble subjects, with trembling hands but a heart-filled love, and because I know that we can be absolutely sure now for our eternal life in the home that Jesus went to prepare, may I ask your most gracious majesty to read the following passages of Scripture. John 3.16, Romans 10.9-10. I sign myself your servant for Jesus' sake, John Townsend. John Townsend was not alone in praying for, about this letter sent to the queen, and so he took others into his confidence, and they offered a prayer to God on her majesty's behalf. And about two weeks later, he received the following letter. To John Townsend, I have carefully and prayerfully read the portions of Scripture referred to. I believe in the finished work of Christ for me and trust by God's grace to meet you in that home, of which he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Signed, Victoria Guliff. After Queen Victoria's discovery of Christian assurance, she would carry a small booklet with herself to, to kind of give away to other people. And the title of that booklet was Safety, Certainty, and Enjoyment. This is what she found in Christ. This assurance is what John brings forward to everyone gathered here today and online, no matter where you are in your pilgrimage and your walk. You can have assurance of sins forgiven, assurance of fellowship with God, and assurance of strength for victory in spiritual battle for his name's sake, because of his work for his glory. Let's lay hold of that together and encourage one another in these things. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, would ask that by your grace, wherever we find ourselves in, in this walk with you, Lord, cause us to deepen in assurance. We thank you that our sins have been forgiven for your name's sake. We thank you that, that we can know you and we do know you who has been from the beginning. And we praise you, Lord, that we've overcome the evil one and that as we abide in your word and your word abides in us, we are strengthened by you for that daily battle. All these things we ask that you would accomplish in us and continue to root us in assurance that we would walk enjoying you and calling others to come to you. We ask this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.